for those of you that haven't met me, I'm, I'm Brian Eide, and uh, it's a pr- privilege to serve tonight here. Uh, I've been coming to Gulf Coast a little more than eight years. Uh, my wife and I started coming back uh, in 2005, before the real estate burst there. Um, it's just been a joy to be here, though. I, I like to boast on this uh, uh, story that uh, we rolled into town with a huge truck, biggest we could rent, and a, a community group unpacked us and put meals in our fridge, set us up with all within three hours. And my dad, who's a non-believer, called and said, hey, uh, have you started unpacking? And I could tell him, and not only have we started unpacking, we're finished, got meals, we've got great people here. And he was blown away by that, and so were we. So uh, it's been a joy to be here, and uh, it's a privilege tonight uh, just to speak a little bit uh, on the role of the Holy Spirit, the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I understand we tend to get out of here Roughly seven thirty, seven forty. So we'll we'll do our best to stay on that track. Um, but a, as we get started, I, I just want to give you a big picture. And I don't have my clicker working, so uh, Mark's going to be my my clicker. We're, we're going to have uh, just a big picture. Some of you are like me, and you kind of like to know the lay of the land. Where are we going? And uh, <laughs> the big picture here that we want to put out here, and go ahead and click to the next one, is that the Holy Spirit is going to be uh, that which applies the gospel uh, to our lives. It's going to apply the gospel, making it effectional, uh, effectual, I should say, and operational in our life. So what am I getting at here? Uh, what I'm getting at is the Holy Spirit, though often it seems like the Holy Spirit's the forgotten member of the Trinity, kind of marginalized or even sometimes completely dismissed, we're going to say, hey, the Holy Spirit and the role that the Holy Spirit plays is primary, it's essential, it's vital uh, to our getting the gospel right, it's vital to our walking in the gospel, it's vital to our mission in the gospel. So I'm going to do my best to make that claim with a few scriptures. We're going to, we're going to read through several scriptures tonight together. Uh, because what I want you to do is I want you to see uh, that we're not just kind of winging this or making this up. This this should pop right out uh, from the text. And if it doesn't, uh, then you got to ask, well, why uh, did we take the view that we do? Uh, but let me start us out. You've got a quote in your handout uh, by Gordon Fee. And he says something similar when he says, for Paul, we're talking about the Apostle Paul here, uh, that the Christian life not only begins by the means of the Spirit... The whole Christian life is a matter of the Spirit. One must finish the same way as one began, through the empowering and appropriating work of the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to start us out. We're going to look at a few verses, and and you know, I'd love to get you involved here. So if we could have a few people who are like, uh, yeah, I'll read, that would be great. So uh, let's go ahead. We're going to take a look at, uh, would somebody here read First uh, Thessalonians 1, 4, and 5 for us? Uh, can we can we read that clearly enough? I think it's coming out uh, Despite the lights here, you want to tackle that one for us? Thank you. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Excellent. You start reading much of Paul, and you know, obviously, uh, author of so much of our New Testament, you look, this this isn't an isolated verse. This pops up again and again and again, this uh, seeming dependence on the activity of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, that should uh, give us a strong cue. But uh, can, can we track any of this? Where did Paul come up with this? And, and I want to make the claim, hey, we can look to each of the four Gospels, and we can say that Jesus is going to show us as much as well. If you'll jump to that Matthew 3. 11. Who's got that one for us? Who can tackle that? Thank you, sir. I baptize you with water for repentance, 
But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy, worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Excellent. And somebody else, Mark 1 8, if you would. Thank you. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Excellent. And Luke 3 16. Thank you, sir. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of two sandals are not worthy to be met. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Excellent. And finally, let's do John 1 Thank you. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the men on whom you see the Holy Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Excellent. Hey, you know, nowadays it's so easy to publish anything, isn't it? We could all uh, get ourselves published and, and be out on Kindle. We, we could be like famous authors in our own mind. Uh, but, you know, ba- back in the day when people put things to ink, it was expensive. You usually had to have somebody sponsor that. It wasn't a cheap endeavor. And, and by the way, if you haven't kind of sized it up, God doesn't really waste his words to begin with. Four for four on the Gospels, uh, each of these writers inspired by the Holy Spirit are going to communicate something similar. This isn't like just a little bit of religious fluff in there. They need a little more to get us to the next uh, story. No, this, this is something essential. And so Paul is on safe ground. He's grabbing this right from Jesus' promise that the Holy Spirit's going to play a vital role. Um, let's just say this, though. It seems to be a lot of confusion regarding what baptism in the Holy Spirit would be. It, it probably a lot of different uh, you know, ideas um, in, by different people. If we kind of pulled, we might get some different thoughts here. But let's go ahead. We're going we're gonna to step back and we're going to try to let the Bible interpret some of that here as we progress here. So uh, the, the first category in your handout is, is really talking about the promised Holy Spirit. And as we march through uh, for the remainder here, we, we're seeing that this, the Holy Spirit's pretty vital uh, to our, our getting the gospel right. Uh, but we're, we're going to just take a little bit of a look at the promise here and what that looks like in the baptism role. Uh, we're then going to look at how that promise was fulfilled at the Pentecost. And then we're going to look at some just some clear elements uh, of how the, the Spirit works in our daily living. So uh, it's just kind of good to, to kind of know where we're going. And let's let's go ahead as we, we look at, we've, we've already looked at four verses. We saw how Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as what the Father had promised or uh, the gift that the Father promised. And so uh, we're going to unpack that a little bit more. We'd like to go to Luke 24. And if I could have somebody read 46 through 49, somebody tackle that one for us. Thank you, sir. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead. And for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of all these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Okay, so just a very clear commanding, uh, stay in the city, uh, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. This is a, a clear reference to what the Holy Spirit would do. Let's go ahead and take a look at another passage, Acts 1, 4 through 5. It'll be something referring back uh, very similar and give us just a very clear understanding of, of what was discussed previously. Uh, can I have somebody read that for us, 4 and 5? Thank you. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Excellent. So it's pretty clear Jesus is going to connect baptism with the Holy Spirit and the promise that the Father is going to give. And it may be, hey, maybe you've kind of been familiar with the scriptures. You say, hey, yeah, that, that makes sense. This is something I've sort of known already. I just want to make sure that as we're marching through this, we're on scriptural ground and we're making these connections here clear enough. So uh, we need to ask ourselves, what is this promise of the Father? And I think this is one of the one of the things that just gets my heart going the most. Uh, I, I've had the privilege the last few years to teach Old Testament survey to, to 10th grade students. And my, my challenge, my joy is to try to show them how, <laughs> really to, to try to dispel what I fell to when I was young, thinking that the Old Testament was the way that God used to work and the New Testament is the way he now works as far as their completely different plans, almost like they had no connection with each other. I, I don't know, I just, nobody told me any different, and I just kind of assumed it. One's law, one's grace. It seems like, you know, just completely, almost, if I can use the word, almost split personality God here. Uh, but, hey, you know, I'm just glad to be on the better side of that. No, what I'm trying to show my students these days is that the, the Old Testament just telegraphs so clearly what is about to happen, and it foreshadows it in such strong and beautiful ways. And I think even some of that we saw clearly in the sermon this morning, didn't we? I mean, you see how uh, David and Goliath is really pointing ahead to something so much more beautiful. And, and so, you know, as we're going to look through a few Old Testament scriptures... We're going to see just, hey, God has had in mind from the very beginning to do something amazing. And I just love this. Just a, a quick reminder, hey, you know, you start out in the Garden of Eden and everything was perfect, everything was great, but it didn't take long by the third chapter. Mankind has screwed that up with the first marriage, right? I mean, they just, they messed it up from the very beginning. And, and since then, we're all born into uh, what I call Adam's disease, a pretty, pretty fatal condition. And, uh, you know, what I love, though, is on that very first uh, uh, catastrophe is that promise of hope was given that a, a promised son uh, of Adam and Eve would crush the head of the serpent someday. So really, the rest of the Bible is kind of working that out and getting us back to restoring what had been destroyed to begin with. Uh, but but I, I love it marches right into, after that catastrophe scenario, the whole book of Genesis spirals out of control until you get to Abraham, who God has chosen, not because he was good enough, but because he desired to make a rescue plan for humanity. I think of it as kind of like a, a life-saving attempt, uh, the, the, that's whatever you call that flotation device, being thrown out to the drowning humanity, and God, God just saying, hey, I got you covered. I'm going to rescue you. We're going to start something amazing. All of creation is going to be watching this, <laughs> and they are. Uh, and so you you got that rescue plan in motion. And then by uh, a little time unfolding, you you got people trapped in in Egypt, and it's pretty ugly. Uh, but but you got the exodus through Moses, right? And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And and, and then we're, we're marching on because really after that, you've got a series of victories, but a series of failures. It seems like every time God's people do it right, they also mess it up pretty bad. And really what I love is what we're going to get into in just a moment. This is a promise, a series of promises spoken to a people that have only a history of blowing it. And I just, that, that gets me going when I think about that. That's, that's our God at work here. So we're going to look at a few passages speaking promise of amazing things to a people that have been stubborn, obstinate, defiant, stiff-necked, slow to learn, <laughs> hopeless, 
That sounds like us, doesn't it? <laughs> Let's take a look at Ezekiel uh, 1, or 11, I'm sorry, 19 through 20. Could I have somebody read that for us? Ezekiel 11, thank you. You want to grab that one for us? amazing uh, if you if you really scan the scope of biblical history is that why would god ever make a promise like that to his people <laughs> they've been nothing but but fist shakers at him in so many ways he's attempted to do them good and every time uh, it just unravels right but that's our god i love it uh, let's take a look uh, furthermore ezekiel 36 26 through 27 we're talking again about a forecasting of something that god's going to do and so let's take a look at that one uh you want to read thank you Ah, that's beautiful. A heart of stone, heart of flesh. There it comes again. Uh, Joel 2, 8, 28 through 29. Somebody else for that one, please. Thank you, sir. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And finally, Jeremiah 31. Let's do that one. Thank you. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Isn't that amazing? We just think about that. That that's who we've become, right? I mean, when you think about that, you and I are included in this great promise, and, and we're the benefactors, even though nobody in history previously could seem to get it right. God did not pull the plug, and by the way, He didn't have to come up with a new plan. This this was His plan telegraphed from the beginning. So it sounds a lot like the gospel, doesn't it? Uh, that's because it is right there in the Old Testament. Well. As we think about that, uh, we, we, we can see that the promise has been made, okay? But now let's see the promise fulfilled. We're looking at the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost, of course, is the day that the Holy promised Holy Spirit came. Uh, maybe you know that. Uh, a lot of times we throw lingo around in church circles that you say, nah, I don't know, I didn't sign up for that one, right? I, what, what's Pentecost? We're, we'll talk a little bit more about the nature of the festival that surrounded it, but but we kind of broadly know that as, as the time that the Holy Spirit comes uh, upon uh, God's people in the book of Acts. And so we'll take a look at that uh, right out of Acts 2, 1 through 4. And can I have somebody read that one for us? Thank you. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Good. You might not have ever known this. Uh, I only learned it more recently, uh, some of the details more recently. But as we, as we look at what is Pentecost, well, Pentecost is uh, traditionally uh, it was a celebration that kind of commemorated and, and was sort of a renewal of something that happened in the Old Testament. We spoke just a moment ago of how the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. And if you kind of remember some of the Old Testament stories or uh, you've ever seen a a good uh, cartoon production uh, of it, uh, we're talking about the Prince of Egypt, but you've got God's people trapped in, in Egypt a series of ten, you know, miracles or plagues is going to be what brings them out. The final one, the worst, was the death of the firstborn uh, son in Egypt. And it says it was so bad that there wasn't one Egyptian household that was left unaffected. But you also had their what would be called the Passover, right? The, the fact that the Israelites took to heart God's warning and they slaughtered a, an innocent lamb and they put the blood of that lamb on its doorframe. And literally, uh, the death angel, when it came through the land, didn't have to stop into the Israelite house to uh, sacrifice the firstborn because a sacrifice had already been made on behalf of that household. That's a beautiful thing right there, so clearly showing us Christ uh, foreshadowed. But, you know, this, this uh, you know, period of time that they leave Egypt and, you know, they pass through the Red Sea uh, once and for all, leaving Pharaoh's army behind. And about 50 days into their exodus, 50 days into venturing out of Egypt and over Mount Sinai, over uh, the Sinai Peninsula, they come to Mount Sinai. And there is where they get the Old Testament uh, Mosaic Law, or the, the law uh, as it's sometimes just referred to. And, and during that time, if you've read through this, you know uh, that, that God appeared in fire and in smoke. And it was pretty, pretty fierce. Uh, it struck fear in the hearts of the people. Uh, but, but this was, you know, a, a central part of the Old Testament was the establishment of this covenant uh, through fire uh, that would come and it would define God's people. Well, here, the 50th day uh, became a, a day of, of commemorating and renewing this understanding of the Old Covenant promise. It isn't by accident that on this 50th day, as they're celebrating this particular Pentecost celebration, that God chooses to establish something that will forever redefine what the Pentecost would mean. And so this is a beautiful thing. Uh, as we look at that, <laughs> um, again, speaking to that Sinai covenant, uh, it was written in Exodus, it said, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. <laughs> but as, again, as we've seen, that they, they scarcely uh, could keep anything in obedience. If you know much of the story there, it wasn't long after, Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments inscribed by the finger of God, and the people have already blown it. They're worshiping idols, and they're, having, they're engaging in revelry and lust and, and all sorts of things. It's just... Uh, you couldn't have more of a flip-flop uh, and a failure. Uh, but on this particular Pentecost, uh, something brand new is happening, and that's the new covenant coming, the pouring out of the Spirit. Uh, the obedience isn't going to come from them. 
the obedience has already been established by Christ, who's just been crucified and raised from the dead. And that's a beautiful thing, that it's, it's his blood, uh, the, the crucified blood of the Messiah, that's going to establish that. So when he came, we read this in Acts 2, 3. Can I have somebody uh, tackle that one for us? Actually, we just read, uh, I'll just remind us of that clip. We'll get another verse in a moment. Uh, it, and divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. So here's that fire coming down. Again, there was fire once. Uh, in the Old Covenant uh, at Sinai, but now here's fire coming again, and it's signifying a new covenant. And literally, um, we've got uh, the appearing uh, of the very covenant that's been promised that we just read about in so many prophecies, the, the heart of stone being made into a heart of flesh. This is, this is an amazing uh, promise coming to pass here. And so uh, let's take a look here. We've got... Um, we can read the Exodus nineteen eighteen verse there, and uh, can I have somebody uh, take that one for us? Thank you again. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke filled up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled by the Okay, so that's the, again the first occasion. Uh, the, the second occasion that was mentioned in the Old Testament is really at the commemorating of the temple that Solomon had built. Uh, there, fire is going to come down uh, at the dedication of the temple. So really, uh, this is pretty important uh, on the day of the Pentecost, and, and it would have uh, been easy uh, if the Holy Spirit was bringing illumination for God's people, uh, the Israelites, to see this connection, uh, at least after the fact, um, if, if not at the time. Uh, but uh, one, one other thing here, uh, we mentioned the, the Solomon verse. Uh, let's go ahead and take a look at Second Chronicles 7. one. It says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So Jesus is the true son uh, of David. He's building God's house, the church. The church is the true temple. Not made with human hands, as uh, Ephesians uh, 2 reminds us. So on the day of Pentecost, as I'm saying, I'm making the case, God's coming again. He's coming again with fire, this time to write the law on the hearts of the people. This time <laughs> to do uh, what no human could do uh, in their own strength, in their own flesh. And so this is the promise of the Father uh, being fulfilled. And uh, Paul refers to the whole ministry thereafter as the ministry of the Spirit, okay? This is contrasting that which was of, of the law written on stone tablets. The ministry of the Spirit is this working of God, writing his law on human hearts, uh, fulfilling this at, at the day of Pentecost. More on that is in Second Corinthians 3. Uh, you can uh, make note of that if you want to follow up with that. So, you know... <laughs> Big picture, we've looked at uh, just a little bit on uh, the promise of this Holy Spirit. We've seen a little bit uh, of this being fulfilled uh, at the day of Pentecost. Now I'd like to begin to take a look at, hey, what does this look like actively in the life of the believer? And the first thing that we really want to hit is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, obviously it's going to be Jesus Christ is going to be the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. This whole act of baptism obviously isn't new. Uh, with Jesus or the New Testament. It's not even new to uh, Christianity or to uh, the Jewish faith. Uh, baptism is something that historically has happened in a number of groups over time. But but the baptism uh, that we see here, and even the one that John is preparing the way for, is clearly speaking of a cleansing work. And he's going to speak quite clearly to that. We've already seen uh, some verses related to that. Uh, but it's a, it's a work that's going to have to happen before this new covenant can be applied uh, to, you know, the, the, the believer. So only Christ can do that. 
But once he does it, he can now dwell with us. And the baptism of the Spirit then is about entrance into Christ's body. Let's take a look at a, at a passage out of 1 Corinthians. Can I have somebody read that from chapter 12, verse 13? Thank you. Appreciate it. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given to the one Spirit to drink. Good. You know, every member uh, of Christ's body has been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this, this makes sense. Again, in order uh, to be a part of the body of Christ, that, that cleansing work uh, that can only be done by the Holy Spirit has to be performed. Christ lives in us by his Holy Spirit. Uh, let's take a look at Romans 8, uh, 9 through 11. And another volunteer for that, please. Romans 8, 9 through 11. Go ahead. Thank you, Ann. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Excellent. So God's Spirit is at work beginning a process here of, of making us into the image of Christ. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. But that transforming work is is made possible after this baptism begins. And this is this is what God has prepared for us uh, to, to walk in. Uh, even, uh, I'd say, closely related to Ephesians 2.10, when we talk about uh, that God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. It's got to be preceded by this amazing work of the Holy Spirit, uh, and then the transforming work will will come uh, later. Uh, Gordon uh, Fee again writes that the Spirit's main role in Paul's view of things lies with his being the absolutely essential constituent of the whole Christian life. From beginning to end, believers are described as living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, bearing fruit of the Spirit, and sowing to the Spirit. The Spirit conforms the believer to the likeness of Christ. The Spirit is therefore the empowering presence of God for living in the life of God, living in the life of God in the present. And you start thinking about all of that. It just makes sense that we need to be seeking uh, not only a better understanding of this, but but a more intentional act of saying, hey, God, I, I want to partner with what your spirit is is wanting to accomplish in me. And again, I said at the beginning, the Holy Spirit often seems like the forgotten member of the Trinity or at least marginalized and, and really to our detriment where we come back to the main point of tonight, right? It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to apply the gospel to our lives. It's the Holy Spirit, maybe another way of saying it, that helps the gospel to bear fruit in our lives. And so we really, we need to become dependent uh, in the same way that, that Paul is is just constantly uh, writing. And as Gordon Fee has just made such a clear reference to here. Uh, let's talk about another role. We've looked at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now let's take a look at the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's pretty difficult to separate these initially because, you know, that, that baptizing and the regenerating work is going to begin almost simultaneously there. But I think there is an element of the regenerating work that continues ongoing. So it's not a just the moment you began to be a believer, and that's what we really want to focus on, and that's why we made it a, a secondary thing here. So the Holy Spirit is going to do the work in this regeneration of convicting of sin. 
Isn't it amazing to think that it's just times where you walk with God and, and all of a sudden things that you previously might not have had a trouble with or care about, all of a sudden that becomes something, hey, I'm convinced God wants me to make a change here. That's the Holy Spirit doing the Holy Spirit's regenerating work. It's always a good thing. You know, sometimes we get overwhelmed when we see something like that and say, my goodness, I've been walking all this time and not being real uh, aware of this and not really taking this seriously. And But, you know, really that, that should be a moment of joy as well. The Holy Spirit is doing its work in you. It's, it's bringing about that conviction so that it can bring the transformation. That's always a good sign uh, when the Holy Spirit is at work. John 6.44. Can I have somebody read that one for us, please? Thank you. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up on the last day. Excellent. So the work of drawing is carried out by the Holy Spirit, and it's the Spirit that's doing the work that's being testified uh, really before the whole world. You know, I, I couldn't help as I was thinking through this uh, just even to make a connection with the sermon today, right? I mean, again, you've got David operating in a power, not his own, relying uh, on God uh, for the glory of God to be manifested, right? And really, as we think about uh, living our lives out, living the gospel out, uh, our, our heart's desire should be uh, to, to want God's work in us, uh, not in a boastful sense on us, but in a boastful sense on him be displayed, that he would get the glory, that, that what we are now isn't what we once were. And I just, there's been lots of opportunities uh, even to sometimes correct what I once was, uh, even with my dad. I know that early on in my Christian walk, uh, you know, I think I very much offended him with some of my approaches and different things. And, and I've just been able to very clearly state to him uh, in, in more recent times, hey, yeah, I, I wrote out my testimony and shared it actually was going on a missions trip, and that was an assignment. So I, I just forwarded the email to him to figure, why not? Dad, I'm going on a missions trip. Here's what I had to write. But it's an easy opportunity for him to see my testimony. But but in that testimony, I confess that I had been, uh, over the years, uh, especially in the early years, very prideful in my response uh, towards unbelievers and others in my life and, and just uh, how there's been a, a change in my heart and attitude in that. And, and I think, you know, even something small like that can testify back to an unbeliever and a believer alike. What we are today is not the same as what we once were. The Holy Spirit doing the work of regeneration in our life is bringing glory to God. And it's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. Let's go ahead. I want to take a look at Titus 3, 4 through 7. Thank you. Good. So, you know, you might consider the washing of rebirth as the baptism in the Spirit and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. That could be the transforming of each of us into the image of Christ. And I want to speak a little bit more to that idea of transforming because that's another key work that the Holy Spirit is at work to do to transform. And again, really hard to separate sometimes some of these. The regenerating leads to the transforming, and they're oftentimes, 
you know, kind of melded together. But the work of the Holy Spirit um, is that work which transforms believers into the image of Christ, and God's committed to that. I, I'm so grateful that he's committed to that. When we talk about he who began a good work in you will, is faithful, he'll carry it to, to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. That, that's a praise, because I don't know about you, there's times where, where I feel like, uh, even with my best of intentions, my, my heart can wander. And we sing about that in songs like, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. You know, prone to leave the God I love. <laughs> Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. I'm so glad that God's committed to this work of transformation, even sometimes more committed than I am. Have mercy, right? <laughs> but uh, God's there, and he's committed. Uh, let's take a look at Philippians 2, uh, 12 through 13. And somebody want to read that one for us? Thank you. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his purpose. Amen. It sounds a lot like a passage we referenced earlier. We looked at a passage in Ezekiel 36, back in that prophesying of the covenant to come. And it said, I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God is so faithful. And again, telegraphed in the Old Testament what he would accomplish in the new. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so a primary role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to conform us to the image of Christ. And it seems to be so much confusion, I think, in the modern church. I'm not talking about our specific body. I'm talking about the church as a whole, at least the church in America. So much confusion as to maybe we can make a profession and just kind of live as we will. But, you know, it is God's will that we be transformed into the image of his son. And so there's really no place for a Christian that has no interest in being made more like Christ. (laughs) That's just not part of the package, right? Uh, and so it's the Holy Spirit that not only will help us to do that, but even give us the heart uh, to, to want uh, transformation. Um, really, as the law, the law would have been uh, the, the light shining to the Old Testament believer. Uh, you, can, you can take uh, things like Psalm 1, right? Uh, it talks about uh, on God's law, uh, the, basically the, the, the godly person, the God-fearing person is going to meditate day and night, be like trees planted by streams of water is a good thing, right? Uh, even in other parts of the Psalms, thy word's a lamp unto my uh, feet and a light unto my path. All, all of that good and true, but really it's the gospel that is going to play the same role in the New Testament. And that's the full light of Christ Maybe everything that the law was pointing to, and so we've got a we've got a greater light uh, to walk by here as we think about the work of the Spirit appropriating the gospel in our lives, bringing a transformation, bringing a regeneration, bringing a baptism that we could never obtain uh, left to ourselves in the law uh, alone. So we want to be meditating really on on how God might. Uh, continue this work in us and, and really be intentional about that. Uh, holiness is really what, what the outcome is going to look like. And, and I think that's gotten such a bad rap, hasn't it? We all, I don't want to be holier than thou. Yeah, we don't want to be self-righteous. That's true. <laughs> but sometimes we almost like shy back from the idea of pursuing holiness, which certainly isn't part of God's, uh, heart for us. Uh, as we follow the Holy Spirit, we're going to be transformed into Christ likeness and we're going to grow uh, in holiness, fulfilling so many Old Testament passages. Let's take a look at uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Who's got that one for me? Thank you. 
You get the next one. Amen. That's holiness. That's the fruit that comes as we abide in Christ. All right, uh, John fifteen five, if you would please. I am the vine; you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Just again, the theme that we're mentioning: uh, fruit and, and this growth in Christ likeness, this image bearing, this holiness. It's not an optional add-on to the Christian life. It is an essential part of it. It is everything that God is wanting to accomplish in you and collectively in his bride. And so it's the Holy Spirit that applies the gospel to bring about this transformation and this fruit. And so we want to be partnering uh, with the Holy Spirit. And uh, finally, uh, again, really difficult to dissect all of this, but we just talk a little bit of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've been relying, there's been like a, a bleeding of these into each one uh, over the course of our discussion tonight. So it's not like these are all completely nice, neat, succinct, separate things. Uh, so I'll admit that. But let, let's nonetheless talk a bit about the empowering work of the Spirit. Really what we're talking about here. We like to say at Gulf Coast, we're on mission, right? And the Holy Spirit wants to bring power for us to accomplish the mission that God has for us. And again, I'll get back to Ephesians 2.10. We've been created in advance uh, with good works to do that God's prepared for us. The Holy Spirit wants to bring those to their fruition. And so uh, this transforming work is going to empower us for the living this out, right? Um, the, the disciples were given a mission, if you recall, but they're to remain in Jerusalem until they receive power from on high. And it seems that obviously this is a specific reference to the empowerment that they would have for their mission. You know, sometimes this gets mistaken as just a call to evangelism. But I think it's really broader than that. I think it's really to make disciples. If we look at the Great Commission, it's not only to evangelize, but to, to make disciples. And so literally that affects all of us. We're all on mission. You say, my goodness, how can I make a difference? The Holy Spirit at work in you is going to be the difference maker. And, and you know, really we've all got people in our lives that God has orchestrated for a reason and we've got the opportunity uh, to let this work of the Holy Spirit uh, testify to God's work in us and, and testify to uh, what God would do uh, in them as well. So they're told to wait for the Holy Spirit. They're all going to join constantly together in prayer, as it says in Acts 1. Didn't stop there. They constantly relied on the Spirit for all they did. They were God-dependent. I like that. As Even as I was preparing for tonight, that is just kind of convicting to me. Um, not in a bad way, but in a challenging way to say, hey, I want to grow more in this being God-dependent. Let's take a look at Acts 2. I'm going to look at 42 and 46. Not as if 43 through 45 aren't also good, but we'll just focus in on these two verses. Somebody tackle that one for me. Thank you, sir. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Excellent. I love how they didn't stop meeting together. They, they continued this. And they didn't cease to trust the power of God at work to help them to carry out the mission that they'd been given. Uh, they, were, they were being God-dependent. 
The leaders of the church made it a priority as well. They didn't just rely on the preaching of God's word, uh, but they really, really relied on prayer. And as, as I'm thinking through this, and really I think all of us have this vital role, you know, there's a lot of good things that go on locally here. We're blessed each week with, with a solid preaching of God's word. I, I just, I'm so thankful for that. But the truth is, as we think through, as we process through some of this, hey, you and me can play a vital role in God's mission Sunday morning through his word, even as we bathe this in prayer. And we can be lifting up Jerry or Darren or whoever else is speaking and pray that God would do way more than Jerry the human vessel could ever accomplish or Darren the human vessel could ever accomplish. It's the Holy Spirit we want to see empower these words, right? I have seen amazingly presented truths, teachings, sermons given with very little effect. And sometimes you just wonder, hey, is it maybe not so much about the eloquence or the giftedness of the speaker and about the the Holy Spirit of God showing up in power? I don't, not that we should set the bar low. I don't, don't want to see poor speaking or poor teaching or whatever go out. But we really need to come alongside uh, and take take kind of our, our shouldering of the mission here and bathe this in prayer, whether it be uh, the sermon or the Sunday school or whatever else. God, let your Holy Spirit uh, show up in these times that ordinary human vessels would be filled with your power to accomplish your purpose. That, that, that's a cool thing that we can partake in. And, and I hope it really, as we think about that, that, that it opens our eyes to a greater mission than what we might have otherwise thought when we come on Sunday morning, right? <laughs> we can play an active role. Um, so good stuff to think about. Um, think about David again in the sermon today, just relying on the Holy Spirit for God to do something much more. There's no way on paper that should have worked out, right? (laughs) But wow. Uh, So uh, to live lives empowered by the Holy Spirit is not a life focused on the gifts. We do see a lot of that, uh, I think, in our modern times of people being focused on the gifts of the Spirit in such a way that maybe doesn't partner or pair them with the mission. Okay, uh, at Gulf Coast, we do believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. But we believe very strongly that they're to be partnered or paired with with the mission at hand, right? Uh, he still gives us the gifts for ministry, but we're going to live dependent on the unseen power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And to live by this is to live a life of prayer and God dependency, okay? Not just prayer for our gift, but prayer for God's glory in that. Um, by the way, just a little excerpt. I think it made your package. Uh, um, Paul, I'm not even going to try that last name. That's crazy. But I, I can say his quote was a good one. Uh, prayerlessness is the most subtle disclosure of our independence and depraved heart's own declaration of sovereignty. We must commit ourselves to a lifestyle of constant prayer, which will keep us in a state of submission to the will of God. And so you, you hear Paul regularly s- saying, you know, praying in the spirit, just recognizing a dependence even in prayer upon the work of the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit leads us in the work of the gospel, he'll give us gifts, gifts that will be used in the church. These gifts empower ministry. They're for the edification of the church. They'll enable us to supernaturally minister to each other with strength beyond that which we'd have in our own uh, and to pray for one another in ways way beyond our own understanding. Again, I'm going to say all of the gifts uh, which were in the New Testament uh, books 
all of them spoken of are available for today. In our statement of faith, I'm just going to read a little section from it. Um, under the heading, The Power of the Holy Spirit uh, is written, Although all believers are baptized in one spirit, into one body at conversion, there is one baptism, not two separate events. The New Testament indicates the importance of an ongoing empowering work of the Spirit subsequent to conversion as well. The Holy Spirit desires to fill each believer continually with power for Christian life and witness and imparts his supernatural gifts for the edification of the church and for various works of ministry in the world. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit are at work in the church during the first century, are available today, are vital for mission of the church, and are to be earnestly desired and practiced. We do not believe that certain gifts of the Spirit have ceased to operate in the church today. So one of the great things about this uh, new covenant is that the Holy Spirit infilling is not a one-time event. Though the baptism of the Spirit occurs upon entrance into the covenant, we're constantly able to be filled uh, with the Spirit. You can look at uh, Ephesians 5 for that. Um, but in Acts 4, we find the same group was baptized and filled with the Spirit on Pentecost, praying, and it says, after they prayed, all were they... I'm sorry, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God wants to continually fill his believers with the Holy Spirit. Um, So as we wrap up, I just want to kind of, again, sum it all up. Hey, where have we been? What was the point? Um, If you're like me, my mind wanders sometimes. Not not that anybody here uh, had a wandering mind at at any point during this night. But it's just kind of good to think about uh, what was the main point? Where have we been? And, 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 you know, how did we get there? So we talked about how the Holy Spirit applies the gospel to our lives. That's God's greatest desire, to see that gospel bear fruit in your life. And he's committed himself... (laughs) so much to the process that he's given us a gift, the promised Holy Spirit. And that came first at the day of Pentecost. Uh, it comes to believers as they place their faith in Christ uh, subsequently. Uh, and, and with that, we've seen the work of baptism that, regen- that cleanses regeneration, that, that convicts transformation, uh, that transforms us into Christ's image, and finally empowerment uh, for the mission at hand. And so uh, I hope that's clear and helpful for you. Uh, I would love to take uh, a moment if you have any questions uh, about anything we've discussed here tonight. I'd be glad to, to field those. And if they're too complicated, I'll be glad to hand them right over to Jerry when he gets back, right? So <laughs> any thoughts or feedback at all uh, or questions is, is fine. Yeah. Uh, on the statement of faith, do you go into explain what you mean by there is one baptism, not two separate events? Um, a, a lot of times uh, in church circles where they have uh, maybe a, a, a conviction that the Holy Spirit's gifts are, are around for today, you'll oftentimes hear them speak of needing to be baptized uh, first with water and then by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we believe that the Holy Spirit is present in the believer uh, at the point of baptism. So you'd say, okay, well, if you haven't started speaking in tongues, then you that would be one implication of that, absolutely, and I think an important one. Uh, and I've even attended some churches in the past uh, where uh, there was sort of a, a second-class uh, citizen uh, if you didn't exercise a particular gift of the Spirit. And, and so we would absolutely uh, be in agreement that that, that uh, is a, a, a misrepresentation or, or you know, a, a wrong uh, thinking of what the Holy Spirit's work would be there. Yeah. Yep. Thoughts on that verse back in Acts 
says, in a few days, you'll receive the Spirit. It seemed like there was like a time frame between when it was spoken and when they, when they received it. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I don't have a lot of thought on that other than it seemed like, you know, if, if the Pentecost came roughly 50 days after and Jesus was present for like 40 days and then, uh, was resurrected, um, was ascended, uh, you're looking at maybe a period of 10 days roughly, um, as they're waiting, uh, for something, uh, to, to be demonstrated to them. Uh, that they had the spirit uh, at work in a profound and powerful way, and um, you know, I, I, I don't know all, all of the details. I'm sure Jerry would have some profound insights there. Uh, but it's interesting that at that very event, and and the waiting for that event, uh, as they're praying uh, and depending on God, uh, you have the context set, the stage set for a whole mass of people to be in town that wouldn't otherwise be there. And uh, that first sermon that Peter. Uh, preaches unprepared <laughs> uh, is going to bring 3,000 believers in that day. So it, it's hard for me to know exactly uh, what all the delay is. Is it setting up a bigger picture? Uh, are there other things in store there? Uh, I don't. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a fair observation. Yeah. 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 No, I I don't think there's any. Um, yeah. I don't think there's any desire to keep it off the table for trying to create a, a better sense of order or, or uh, a fear of how time is utilized. Um, there are sometimes some informal opportunities after the service. They come on up and, and have prayer. Sometimes people avail themselves of that. Sometimes they don't. But I, I think that that's a good uh, you know thought that you're making is like uh, we've had various times uh, where we've had more emphasis on that uh, than others. And I suspect that, that we'll have that again in the future. Um, but one of the things that we really want to emphasize too, though, is the opportunity in community groups to to have that, uh, and so that can be a real rich time. Sometimes, we'll, 
you know, uh, in our group, we'll have people just come in burdened with something. I would say, hey, can, can we just stop whatever we had planned right now and, and lift that up? And um, sometimes that becomes the evening. Yeah, I mean, if the spirit is in that and, and we're realizing that, it's like, you know what, whatever we had planned is secondary. We'll, we'll, we'll roll with this, you know. So um, I'm not saying that happens every week, but uh, we'd like to have a context for, for that. And so that, that's an important one there. Um, but but you make some valid points on the on the service time. Yes. I just want to add that uh, free, like, I think the reason for that and why that's in so many churches. We have it like we don't have it to that degree in this church. We have a private thing that was kind of said in prayer come up so we can have that. The scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You've been in a place where you have focused your heart on the Lord and then you've heard the word. So oftentimes the reason the churches do that is at the end of the service there's a lot of faith present. For that, for God to move. I think um, we have to be careful not to get out of balance on either direction. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us have experienced, you know, excess in one direction, so we we don't want all that show and get away from that. But my spiritual father, the pastor I work under, used to say, you've got to learn not to throw the baby out of the bathwater. You know, we all experience excesses, but there's some truth in there. Absolutely. Anybody else? Well, it has been a joy to be here this evening and to, to get to meet some of you for the first time here. I appreciate uh, your um, your faithfulness to just uh, check out uh, what everything's about here. And uh, we just want to uh, dismiss with a word of prayer here and we'll, we'll get rolling. Would, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is that you would give us, who are most unworthy candidates, your very Holy Spirit. It it is nothing short of miraculous that you would live in us, that we would be your living temple. God, help us to take that to heart more. Let it encourage us. I I pray that it would serve to lift our minds off uh, of our inward focus and, and our our lives that sometimes uh, understandably just get so focused on uh, the next paycheck or the next objective or the next goal at work, whatever it is, would you open our eyes to your greater purposes? We've got the Holy Spirit as, as believers and followers of Christ at work in us. And, and I pray you would help us to stay in step with that, to, to recognize with intentionality as we pray and and to <laughs> Even uh, look for opportunities, Lord, for your spirit uh, to, to be at work, to strengthen your church and us as, as followers of you. We just give you our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.